All right, good morning, everyone. There's one good morning, huh? Thank you, Vicki. Good morning, and welcome to New Hope Christian Fellowship. Um, we are grateful to be together here this morning, and we want to start off our morning here just saying welcome to any visitors that are here for the first time. We're great to have you here, and just uh, um, glad you're part of our worship service this morning. And so um, what we want to do to start off first thing is just to review a few announcements that are on the screen behind us and, and uh, see what's going on in the life of our church here and just get you updated and everything. Um, so we'll take a look. They're also in the back of your bulletin, too. Um, but first couple of things are, is that next Saturday, you've heard we have a men's group going on here that meets the second and fourth Saturdays, and so that will be next Saturday morning at 7.30. We've been going through a book called Disciplines of a Godly Man, and so um, it's, each chapter is kind of on a subject about part of being a, a man, and, and it covers a wide spectrum of things, and so just want to let you know, if you haven't attended feel free to still jump in. The book, you can take a chapter at a time. If you need a book, come see me. I'll get you a book, but feel free to jump in. Um, they're not uh, consecutive uh, chapters that you need to follow up on, and so, um, so feel free to do that. So next Saturday at 7.30, uh, you can be here. We'll have a light breakfast provided as well. So that's coming up on Saturday. A couple other things is, um, as you guys know, uh, VBS, uh, we talk about that a good bit here in New Hope, and so that's coming up. So there's still a few slots that are needed for that to help and to teach and things like that. There's a, a board uh, station downstairs that you can see what's left as far as what we need as far as help. So um, if you are available that week and have some time to serve and to give, we would appreciate it. Um, so check out that board below, and that's coming up in August here in a few short weeks. Um, so that's Vacation Bible School. Um, the other thing is, is that in August, August 28th, we will have a teachers and helper training meeting. We do this every year in the summertime to prepare for the upcoming uh, school year. And so if you are a teacher or a helper, August 28th in the morning from 9 to 12, um, downstairs in the fellowship hall, uh, please make it a priority to be there. Just uh, Wendy McMillan will be leading that. And just gives you an overall view of what to expect, some, give you a chance to ask questions, and just to prepare you for the upcoming season here with Children's Ministry. So, um, so that's August 28th on a Saturday morning there. If you are not currently a helper or a teacher and would desire so, please check with Wendy. Um, we can always use more help in different areas. So um, any questions, check with Wendy, and she'll fill you in. On, on a side note, as this morning, too, um, just as a reminder, any three-year-olds and up are staying in the service this morning. Um, so uh, we sent out an email this week, but just to remind you, three-year-old and up are with the service this morning. And so the littles can be downstairs. We still have the nursery and the toddler rooms open. But um, so just be mindful of that when the children are dismissed that the three-year-olds and everybody older stays up. Um, prayer meetings, um, we talk about this and encourage you guys on a weekly basis. And so... Again, we're 9.15 downstairs. Um, feel free to join us. Uh, it's just a great time to join with other brothers and sisters in Christ as a church family and pray for these things individually. It's a uh, uh, little bit different dynamic than we experience on a Sunday morning during the worship service. So, um, so if you can get here um, and spend some time with us, that'd be great. If you're not here at 9.15 and you only have 10 minutes or so, come on down um, and join us. And so um, that's every Sunday morning at 9.15. Um, I believe that's all the uh, things as far as church life. We have a couple, I have one announcement just as far as congregational need. And so <laughs> this week, the church got an email just about a need. I don't know, probably some of you 
remember the couple, uh, James and Jada. Um, they have a little not, uh, eight-month-old baby Noah, and they, were, they had visited here for a number of months here and stuff, and so we got a phone call from them or an email and uh, saying they had a need for a vehicle. Their car died, and they have no transportation to work um, or some of the doctor appointments that Noah needs and even end to church. And so, um, so the elders are dealing with that, but what we'd like to reach out to you guys, if you know of anybody that has a car that they could donate or, or sell inexpensively, um, you know, please let us know. Let Dave or I know. We'll be around this week. Um, and so if you know of anybody who knows of anybody or you guys, that's a need that we have, and we'll kind of facilitate that if we have a, an opportunity to do that. So just be praying about that. And, uh, and then let us know if you have any leads or any options like that for them. But I uh, uh, spoke with them this week, and yeah, that's a great need at this point. So um, I believe that's all the announcements this morning. I'm going to call up Steve McMillan for do the call to worship for us this morning. Good morning, New Hope. I didn't realize we were just having a small group meeting this morning. Um, but as we prepare for worship, um, can we take a moment to bow our heads, to individually go before the Lord in prayer, to, to praise him and to humble ourselves before him? Let us stand as we look to God's word. The call to worship this morning is from Nehemiah, chapter 9. We're picking up in the middle of verse 5 through the end of verse 6. The, the context here is we have just come to the conclusion of seven days of the Feast of Booths, where Ezra has been reading from the word of the law. The other teachers have been going out and teaching the people and helping them understand. We are on the eighth day now. And the people are gathering. It's a, a sober gathering. Um, the people have been fasting and are in sackcloth. It is a time for the confession of sin. And in chapter 9, we see a prayer um, where we see the beautiful recounting of God's mercies that he has shown his people throughout time. And we look to the very beginning of that. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Let us remember that God is not just a bigger and better and more powerful version of ourselves. Isaiah 55 reminds us that, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than yours. He is infinite in wisdom and power. He is a holy and just king, and he is the sovereign Lord. Let us be mindful of who we worship this morning.
Okay, before we join together and pray as a congregation here, just a few updates so we can be on the same page here. Talked to Sam this week, and the Wickers are doing great. Um, they're enjoying their time away, and they're currently in Florida um, this week or this weekend. And so, but um, really had a good conversation. Just really seemed like they're having a great time as a family time, and just things are going well as far as travel. No, no problems with that, um, or very minor things. And so. They'll be heading back up to Tennessee and then eventually North Carolina here for their second leg of their journey. So, um, so continue to pray for them and pray for on all levels, the, the physical, the family time, the um, just spiritual refreshment uh, that they have as a family down there. So, so they're doing well. Um, also want to be mindful to pray for Ruth. She is currently, as you got the email, looking to possibly move. Um, and so just pray. There's a lot of uh, logistics and a lot of administrative stuff that needs to happen in the next couple weeks here that, to keep it a timely manner. So make sure that goes smooth. Make sure that we pray for Ruth and just as she uh, continues to be patient and uh, uh, resist the temptation to get anxious when things get that close. And so we all know what that's like when we're waiting for something big in our life to change. So, so just be mindful and praying for Ruth this week and everything's smooth so she can move um, to Columbia. Another um, point to that. Uh, when Ruth does move, as she does move in Columbia, she will be needing a ride uh, to the church as well, um, too. So be thinking about that. If that's something you could provide for Ruth is a ride to church on Sunday mornings and a ride home uh, when she does move. So Columbia, for those who don't know, is just a few miles down the river here. So, um, so be in prayer for that situation, that life change for Ruth. Um, also, 
Um, Carl Jones, back here in the corner here, back in the amen corner here. Um, he is having surgery on Friday and just asked we pray for him. So just be mindful to pray for Carl and uh, this week as he undergoes surgery. And then also Joel for this week. This is the big week for Joel. The teeth come out on Thursday. And so uh, we've been praying for him the last couple of weeks as he has his ongoing dental work. So be thinking of Joel and praying for him this week as he uh, gets a lot of his dental work done this week. So one side note is an encouragement to you guys. I shared this with a prayer group this morning. You know, we've been praying for Linnell Schwarren's Aunt Judy, who has been dealing with cancer and lots of different levels there. Um, so uh, Peggy Lynn and I have known that family, you know, acquaintances from a former church. And Peggy Lynn happened to run into Judy's husband this week. And uh, Peggy just mentioned to him, like, hey, just want to let you know we're praying for you as a church family and stuff and just wanted to encourage him that way. And, and just to report to you that he really appreciated that. Um, you could tell by his body language and tone that he was very humbled and thankful that another church was praying for him and that to get him through this time is such a serious time. And so, um, so just wanted to encourage you. I told the group this morning that we never sometimes don't know exactly who we're praying for and, and the situation, but um, nonetheless, it's encouraging them. And so the, he was thankful and grateful for you guys to faithfully do that. So just want to pass it on to you and know that your prayers are working and they are uh, mighty. And so um, with that, let's go together with the Lord and pray and talk to him this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we worship you as the sovereign God, the one who knows all and is all. Um, we continue to recognize that um, on, uh, every day that you are in control of all things. Um, there is nothing that happens in our lives or in our world or our universe that you do not have a hand on. And sometimes it's hard for our finite minds to always comprehend that. But this is the God that we're dealing with and who we're talking with and the God who loves us. Um, so, Father, we come to you this morning with a humble heart and a, and a, a grateful heart for uh, how you are all-knowing and uh, in control of everything, Father. And so you are everywhere at all times. Um, and, and the joy of talking to you uh, through prayer and through this avenue that we have come to you this morning, uh, we come with you with anticipation and expectation of how you work with these situations and how you will change lives, change hearts, how you will answer prayers direct, give wisdom, um, how you help us to communicate with love, um, whatever the situation might be in these, these circumstances, that you will grant us what we need. It may not be in our timing, and it may, may not be how we think it should happen, but you know you will guide and direct us, and that you will be faithful to answer our prayers when we simply come to you and ask. Uh, Father, we come to you this morning with just hearts that, um, as we look back this week, that we would be faithful and, and quick to confess the sins in our lives, Father. We fall short of many times, and even though those who trust in Christ for their salvation as redeemed people, we still struggle with temptation. We still struggle with sin in this life, Father. And so we ask forgiveness for those things. Um, the words we might have spoken that weren't lovely, the way the things we might have been selfish with ourselves, the how we treated our family, um, uh, uh, lack of self-control, the list goes on and on, Father. You know exactly what's in our hearts, and for those things, we ask forgiveness, and we pray that you will continue to do the work in our lives to help us to resist temptation when it's in, in front of us, Provide that, help us to take the way that you provide out for those tempting areas in our lives. We're thankful that we can even uh, do this and ask for forgiveness because of the work your son has done through the cross, 
through his perfect death and obedience on the cross and through his resurrection, Father, for those that have put their trust in you, you have redeemed us. You have saved us from your wrath that, what you des- what, that we deserve, Father. And thanks for your love and your love that your son has for us, Father. He took our penalty and took our, our, uh, for our sins and put them on the cross. And so, Father, we are thankful for the gospel that those who trust in you and you alone will receive eternal life, Father. So we're grateful for that. We thank you for this church family. Thank you for this body of believers that are gathered here this morning to praise your name, to take uh, this unique day out of our week, um, to gather together, uh, to give glory to you, to be equipped, to be learned, to be taught and learn the things of, of your word, to fellowship with one another, to build each other up in love, to spurn one another on towards good deeds, to present our offerings to you, Father. These are what we come here for this morning. Not to make us feel good, not to make us check a box off in our week that we went to church and now we feel good about ourselves. We come here to worship you and to glorify you and to encourage one another and to be built up so that we can go throughout the rest of the week and be equipped when we face this, the realities of this life, Father. This isn't to come this morning and check out all of our problems. We bring our problems to you. We bring them to the cross. Um, this is what we do here, Father. And so I pray that you continue to uh, work in the lives here this morning, all of our lives, um, as your Holy Spirit guides and directs. We pray for the preaching of God's word this morning as Brother Dave brings us your word. I pray that Holy Spirit would be active in our lives, that you would help our minds be attentive, help our minds keep from wandering to be focused on the truths of your word. I pray for clarity as, as Ed speaks, as he proclaims the truths of your word. I pray that we would be mindful and be diligent and be listening for application, some small, some big, however your spirit wants to work in our lives. Maybe it's something we just need to repent of, Father. Maybe it's a truth we have not learned yet. And so, Father, whatever it is in the lives of this congregation this morning, that you would do that work, I pray. Father, we want to think about our family members here as we have different needs, and uh, we're thankful for the wonderful time you have given the Wickers here just in their time away of refreshment. We can pray that continues. We pray for their uh, family time, that they grow closer to one another and just have good conversations and good times building closer as a family. We pray for their spiritual lives, that it would be a time of refreshing, that their time in the Word would be encouraging and building up and just directive, Father. For emotional and for um, physical travel as they continue to journey around this, this uh, country, Father, that you would protect their, their vehicle and their, their camper and just all the tra- travel on the roads, Father. Bring them back here safely and bring them back here refreshed uh, and ready to minister, us, minister to us again and, and to uh, lead this congregation well. So we just pray for them and thank for the work you're doing in their, their time away. We think of Ruth, too, as she looks to a transition in her life of possibly moving out of Marietta here and moving uh, into Columbia. Uh, there's a lot of details to be worked out and a lot of answers and a lot of directions needed guided here and timing and specifically. And so we pray that you would do those things, help the communication go smoothly between Ruth and those who needed information, that things would process quickly. Uh, more importantly, we pray for Ruth's heart. Do a work in her heart, I pray, as she patiently depends upon you to work out these details that are out of her control. Um, I pray you continue to help Ruth be prayerful and to rely on you, to know that you have these things in control. And, and she might have a plan and she's working towards it, but she, 
realizing that you are uh, moving these pieces as you see what's best for Ruth. And so remind her of her promises, even on days when she doesn't feel like things are working out, that she can stay steadfast on your word and your promises that she will be cared for as a daughter of Christ. We think of Carl this week as he faces surgery on, on Friday. We pray for those um, that will be caring for him and performing the surgery. We pray that you would give them great wisdom and give them the, the knowledge they need to perform this well and fix what they need to fix, Father. Um, so we just pray you uh, prepare his heart for that, that you would, uh, again, let Carl see you at work in his life through this surgery. We know our bodies are breaking down. Our bodies are not getting better um, in many areas, Father, and uh, sometimes it's hard with all the constant pain, Father, to keep our attention on you. So I pray you do that work in Carl's life this week as he prepares for this. Give him relief from some of the pain but help him to draw this closer to you and rely on you even in, in the physical suffering and the physical pain. Uh, and we think of Joel, too, as uh, he faces this week with his, his ongoing dental work, that it would be successful, that uh, you, would, again, would just help those who are caring for him to, to do what they need to do well and, and know the right um, avenue to take with caring for Joel's teeth in his mouth. And... Uh, um, Help Joel to proclaim your gospel to those who are caring for him. He is such a faithful testimony and, and quick to share the love of Christ with people. So I pray that he would be obedient when opportunities arise for him with those who are caring for him. Father, we think of today on this July 4th and the freedoms we do have that have been given to us in this country. Realizing at the same time that we do not need those freedoms to worship you. And in many countries, they do not have these freedoms. So we pray for the persecuted church this morning. We pray for those who are hiding underground right now reading your word. We pray for those who are having ch children or wives being pulled out of their house because they named the name of Christ. We pray for those who are faithful to preach God's word in the midst of being locked up and thrown in jail. Help them be bold, be courageous. Pray you turn the hearts of their oppressors to, the, to Christ, that you would soften their hearts to the truth of the gospel, the gospel would go forth. So we pray for them this morning. Father, and finally, we pray for VBS coming up in a couple weeks. We pray that you would use this to bring salvation to those who do not know you, whether it's in our own church and the kids or whether it's the community kids, Father, that all the preparation and time and energy goes into this, that that would be for your glory. The energy that we spend as volunteers would be focused on sharing the gospel with these young ones and coming alongside of them. So I pray that's what you would do that work as we spend a whole week presenting the gospel and showing the truths of your word. Pray for those little hearts that will hear it, that will fall on fresh soil, and they will respond by faith. Father, may you be glorified this morning in all that we do or say, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
was lost in darkest night you thought I knew the way the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own a rebel to
One pastor said, please silence your phones. If God wants to talk to you, he's not going to call you on the phone. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 40? I'm just going to read this text to explain what the verse of Scripture is in the bulletin. The psalmist was delivered from the bondage of sin, and the result of that was that he was desiring to proclaim it to the assembly, to the congregation. It's not specifically a text of Scripture itself that talks about the United States celebrating July the 4th, but as Christians, as we enjoy and remember today what happened many years ago for our freedom, we rejoice most of all in the spiritual freedom that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. And Psalm 40 is a good commentary on that. I'll just read that to kind of set the stage and the parameters of what we want to say today. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 40, beginning in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. A great consequence of being set free is announcing to others that it is possible for them as well and to rejoice in the God who has done that. Let's bow our heads together as we look to the Lord asking his blessing upon his word today. Our Heavenly Father, on this uh, holiday in our nation, there's so much going on. I pray this morning for just a few brief moments that you would center our thoughts and our hearts around you and what you have done for us in Christ and our responsibility as those who have been set free, not only from the tyranny of a foreign country, but from the bondage of sin. Bless each of us for being here. Again, our Father, if there's someone who walked into this building today still a slave, a bond slave of sin, would you release them? Would you set them free by the precious work of Christ? 
Bless us for being here. And then, Lord, in turn, make us a blessing to others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You'll see in your bulletin at the top, I didn't have an outline for the sermon, but the verse of scripture that I put up there is one that uh, I'll refer to in just a moment in my message. But that verse of scripture is Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 10, which says, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. The context there is the year of Jubilee when all the slaves were set free and able to go back and retain what they had before. My title of my sermon today is A Christian Perspective on the 4th of July. The fourth day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America to be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty from one end of the continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. You will somewhat think me transported with enthusiasm, but I'm not. I'm well aware of the toil, the blood, and the treasure that it will cost to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet, through all the gloom, I can see rays of light and glory that the end is worth all the means, that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction, even though we shall regret it, which I trust in God we shall not. Those words came from the pen of John Adams, one of our fathers in this nation. July the 4th commemorates the day in 1776 that our nation declared itself to be an independent nation and no longer a colony of England. On that date, a number of our leading citizens signed what is known as the Declaration of Independence, stating our determination to become a free country. Interesting, I found, I read that the Continental Congress actually voted for American independence on July the 2nd, 1776, technically making that our Independence Day. But two days later on the 4th, the Congress also passed the Declaration of Independence. And so we celebrate the date of that vote as our great national holiday. Our independence did not come easily. Only after several difficult years of war would it be finally won. Nor were the first years as a nation free from problems and controversies, as is still true. But our forefathers were determined to establish a free and democratic system of government, and the Declaration of Independence, together with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, became the foundation for this. They have stood the test of time, though presently they are under assault. And today, on July the 4th, we give thanks for the wisdom and faith and courage of those leaders. A question that often comes up in Christian circles is, should we as Christians celebrate national holidays. Is it okay for us to do that? I think that's a fair question. I'll give you just a few thoughts and let you make up your own mind. I don't know of any biblical command that states that New Covenant Christians must celebrate certain national holidays. Because of this, there are some who advocate the opposite view, that Christians should refrain from the celebration of any holiday. Other traditions celebrate only what are considered by them as Christian holidays such as Christmas or Easter. So the question is, should we? Can we? Let me leave you four thoughts and you can take it to the Lord and make up your own mind. Number one, the Israelites celebrated certain holy days or holidays 
and they were commanded to do that. These included Passover, Pentecost, new moon celebrations, and other occasions. Early Jewish Christians continued to celebrate these days and did not see such practices as a problem to their Christian faith. Number two, the Bible teaches freedom and liberty regarding the celebration of special days. Paul addressed this issue in Romans chapter 14 when he said, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his or her own mind. The one who observes the day should observe it in honor of the Lord. In that same chapter, Paul later adds, So don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. It appears that celebrating special days such as birthdays or national holidays is not necessarily bad. It is a matter of personal preference. There's the issue of Christian liberty. Colossians 2.16, Paul said, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or the Sabbath days. Number three, Christians should also consider whether celebrating a particular holiday is consistent with their Christian beliefs. For example, some Christians refrain from celebrating Halloween because of its association with evil spirits. Other Christians participate in some aspects of that holiday, but they exclude themselves from aspects associated, associated with what they consider evil. Again, the holiday itself is a matter of personal preference. But I believe certain aspects that are clearly sinful should be avoided at all costs. And fourthly, Christians can consider how to use holidays for the glory of God. For example, we have the Christmas and Easter bunch. You know who they are? You'll see them when it's Christmas. You'll see them when they're Easter, sometimes Mother's Day, sometimes Father's Day. They're not regular attenders. But when they come, it seems appropriate to mention what it is and to bring it back to the gospel. This provides a great opportunity to honor mothers on Mother's Day, fathers on Father's Day, etc., etc., to share the gospel and offer other options to help people become more involved in the local church and Christian service. In summary, Christians are given freedom regarding whether or not to celebrate holidays. Many holidays were celebrated by people in the Bible. For Christians, holiday celebrations are optional. We are free. It should never be a point of judging someone, according to Paul in Romans 14. Particular, definite, sinful aspects should, of course, be avoided, while Christians can also use the positive aspects of holidays for the effective outreach and service that honors God and helps the lives of people. Now, although it's not a religious holiday like Christmas or Easter, for many Americans, July the 4th, is a time to reflect on God's goodness to us as a nation. Seems like we need a whole lot more of that today, don't we? Molded into the Liberty Bell. By the way, there are three things that are molded into the Liberty Bell. The first thing is Leviticus 25 and verse 10 that I read to you a moment ago at the top of your bulletin. That's on the Liberty Bell. These words from the Bible. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Now, while we look with gratitude to the past on this July 4th, we can also look in hope to the future and commit our future, our lives, and our nation to God and his will. And we do so letting the words of Scripture guide our thoughts and our prayers in our heart. 
the ancient words of the psalmist are still true. Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But so also are these sobering words found in the book of God. Psalm 9, 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. And we must not forget Proverbs 14.34, which says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In that proverb, we see established a rule or a standard composed of two alternatives. There's no middle ground. There are two causes, each with its own effect. Now, while the target of that proverb is no specific nation, its meaning clearly applies to all nations, including the United States of America. Therefore, it is important for us as Christian Americans, the words and the order are intentional, as Christian Americans to examine ourselves, especially in these challenging times. We should ask ourselves which of these two causes we presently embrace, whether righteousness or sin. 1 Peter 2.24 reveals the lifestyle of the regenerate, where Peter says about Jesus, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, so that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. Righteousness should characterize our life. Notice in that same verse, it's not a past or a future condition. It's a current evaluation of where we are now. The verse does not say that our past righteousness will exalt us today or tomorrow. We can't rest on our laurels of the past. Nor does it say that our current sin will one day in the distant future be a reproach. There's forgiveness with God when we sin. No, the tense is clear that the righteousness of a nation exalts it now. And the sin of a nation is a reproach now. And we're not given a middle ground. Each nation is either one or the other, not both. We can choose our own way or God's way, but we can't choose both. This will date me. So as we are surrounded by baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet, do you remember that commercial? Amen. That used to be the mantra of the 4th of July. What I want to speak on this morning is not baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, or Chevrolet. I want to speak on a Christian's perspective on the 4th of July. It's not the only perspective. In light of all the division, the uncertainty, I want to set forth five main thoughts to suggest to you to let them govern our celebration of July the 4th. They're not exhaustive as it pertains to this celebration, but being sons and daughters of God, being an American disciple of Jesus should affect how I celebrate if I choose to do so. I trust these thoughts will be helpful. Number one, while I still pledge allegiance, sing the national anthem, I am loyal to my country, I honor the women and men in uniform, both past and present, who made sacrifices for my freedom, I must never forget my real identity is not primarily in any earthly citizenship. I've never seen this on a form where you have to fill out, you know, what nationality you are, where your citizenship is. But if we as Christians ever saw this, we could check it twice. I'm a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States of America. Because Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. 
John Rittenbaugh explains this phrase, citizenship in heaven, this way. We are now a colony of people whose real eternal citizenship is not here. It is in heaven. The word citizenship indicates a fellowship or a society all living under the same administration, but in this case, not living in their land of the citizenship. Let me share an illustration by a guy named Clint Archer that I think is very apropos. Quote, when I was studying in the United States of America and working as a short-term missions coordinator, I traveled overseas a lot. Once when I landed at JFK Airport, I was asked by the immigrations officer a routine question that I'd answered dozens of times. What is the purpose of your visit to the United States? I replied, I live here. I was just out of the country for work. What do you mean you live here? The visa says you're a student here, she said rather sternly. Ever had one of those? Well, uh, yes, I replied, mustering all the patience I could after 36 hours of air travel. I'm a full-time student at a seminary. But you just said you live here, she pressed. Exasperated by this semantic tango, I lost any residual sangfroid. Now, I thought about that word sangfroid. The next time my wife and I have a disagreement and I'm just losing patience, I, I can say, honey, I'm losing my sangfroid. Sangfroid means my coolness or my ability to deal with a situation. Well, he said, she, there she is. Losing his coolness and composure, he sarcastically quipped, are you ready for this? Of course I live here. What do you think, I live in South Africa and just commute to class every morning? She abruptly called for another armed agent to escort me to an interrogation room where I waited two hours before being asked by a more senior agent the same question. This time I answered clearly that my purpose for my visit was to study. She wanted to make sure I didn't forget my place. I was a foreigner. I was an alien. As far as she was concerned, I did not live in the United States. I worked and studied there temporarily. Well, somewhat of a humorous and frustrating illustration. But in a similar way, the curse of sin frequently reminds Christians we are foreigners on the earth. We are strangers and aliens away from our homeland. We work and study in this world, but we don't belong here. Someone has said we are heavenites. Citizens of heaven. There's a song we used to sing when I was a boy. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We have other biblical support for this truth. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16 says this. These, the ones that they've mentioned about living by faith, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared for them a city. And 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Back in 2013, David Mathis wrote a great article addressing this point of our true identity and citizenship as believers, and this is what he said. 
The name of the article is, Where Does Our Fundamental Identity Lie? First, he says, let's be clear about where the Christian's deepest identity lies. If we are in Christ, joined to him by faith, all the pledges of allegiances have been relativized, whether our nation of origin or naturalization. We still have our loyalties, and they may even multiply, but none goes as deep as this. No man can ultimately serve both God and country, and I'm not referring to that controversy about the military and so on. You can't ultimately, your final and most allegiance has to be to God and to heaven. In Jesus, we have one final allegiance, and therefore in this world, we will always be in some real sense pilgrims, strangers, and aliens, sojourners, and exiles. As Christians, our citizenship citizenship in any earthly nation aims to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is, we need to represent Christ in that nation and not merely worthy of just that nation. At the most basic level, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do for us what no political entity in this world can do, and that is what? Transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. At the end of the day, we are sons and daughters of God and not sons and daughters of Uncle Sam. This means that as Americans, we are free to sing the anthem, pledge allegiance, enjoy parades and fireworks and cookouts and all of those things, shoulder to shoulder with other people. But we must always remember that we can create and strengthen ties that only go so far. The blood of Jesus runs deeper than the blood that flows in defining or defending a nation. Our fellows in political... Our fellows in political liberty are important, but not as significant as our fellows in Jesus from every tribe and tongue. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, As much as it lies within you as, as, as opportunity arises, do good to everyone, but especially to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. So, number one, this year, in our celebration of July the 4th, please remember our identity, our deepest identity, is not on this earth, it is in heaven. Secondly, from that 1 Peter 2.11 verse, we Christians must remember we really are strangers and pilgrims, aliens, and we should think that way, and it should affect how we act. It is a mindset. It's the way we think and determines how we act. In times past, pilgrims, Aliens and strangers were a major theme among Christians, but today it is strangely absent from Christian thinking. I would venture to say that most of us, even those who have been Christians for years, have heard very few sermons on these topics. To my knowledge, I don't know how many recent books, Christian books, have been written on the subject, although the second bestseller below the Bible is a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Isn't that interesting? My mindset must be convinced of the fact that as a Christian, I am just passing through this life, journeying toward heaven. I'm on this earth only for a short while, and I should feel as settled in this world as I would feel if I were traveling in Mongolia. Might be a nice place to visit, but I ain't setting my roots there. 
To too many of us, the word pilgrim reminds us of those quaint folks who came over on the Mayflower in 1620. We might think about them each year with their broad-brimmed hats as we eat our Thanksgiving dinner. We don't really, though, identify much with them, do we? Sadly, being a pilgrim is not the dominant model of a Christian in Western world. Our view of Christianity, too often, is geared to the here and now. Questions like this. What will it do for my marriage? How will it help me raise my kids? Will it help me succeed in my career? Will it help me overcome my personal problems? Will it help me be fulfilled as a person? Heaven is kind of thrown in as a benefit at the end. Too often, heaven is not our focus. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that if you've been risen with Christ, you should seek or think about where you're going, about heaven. That's the determining factor in our daily lives. We want to enjoy life now and cling to it as long as we're able. We do not view death as the gateway to everything we've been living for, do we? Don't answer. It's something to be avoided at all costs. We've even renamed it. They've gone to a better place. They passed away. We're afraid to say they died. Even our terminology determines our attitude. We see death as something to be postponed and avoided at all costs. Now, I'm not saying we go out and take our own lives. I'm not advocating that. I did find one pastor's perspective. I'm going to give it to you. I'll let you decide what you think about it. I just think it very soul-searching when he's talking about this very subject. He said this, One thing that has shifted our focus from being aliens on the earth and looking toward heaven is modern medicine. Nurses and doctors don't get upset. He goes on to say, Don't misunderstand me. I'm very thankful for the advances in medicine that enable us to recover from diseases and injuries that would have ended lives a generation ago. But at the same time, good medical treatment has removed the stark reality of death from us in a way that was not true in earlier times. Even at the turn of the 20th century, it was rare for families not to have lost at least one child in death. The Puritan theologian John Owen, you've heard of him? John Owen lost 10 of his 11 children before they reached adulthood. His other daughter died as a young woman. You see, in the face of death, you don't get as attached to this life, and you live more consciously in light of heaven. Howard Hendricks said this way, most people think they're in the land of the living, headed toward the land of the dead. But the truth is, we're in the land of the dying, heading toward the land of the living. You ever heard of the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards? You should look at those. They're sanctifying and convicting. One of his resolutions was this, I am resolved to think much on all occasions of dying. He was not morbid. Read his sermons. He was anything but morbid. He was Christ-centered and gospel-focused. But I think much on all occasions of my dying and the common circumstances that attend death. This may sound morbid, and it runs against the grain of our day, but I quite honestly think it's biblical. Psalm 90 and verse 12, so Lord, teach us to number our days so we can apply our hearts to wisdom. Job 30, 23, I know that you will bring me to the grave, the land appointed for all who are alive. 
In Psalm 39, the psalmist takes the position of a student, Lord, make me know that my life is short. Make me know that it's going to end. Make me understand that I'm just like a shadow on this earth. I'll leave you to decide what you think about his thoughts, but I, I was rather challenged by them. Folks, we are aliens and strangers on this earth, heading as pilgrims toward heaven. We have to adopt that mindset, which includes constantly remembering that we're not staying here for long. Our home is in heaven, and we should live like it because we think like it. Now, is this important? Stephen Cole reminds us there's nothing wrong and everything right about enjoying God and all of his blessings, the blessings he freely bestows upon us in this life. But if we don't hold the things of this life loosely and are not focused on God himself and on being in heaven with him as our goal, we are holding to a shallow form of Christianity. That's the commentary on the, by and large, the religion of Christianity in America. Shallow, about an inch deep and a mile wide. If we are living just for the good life that being a Christian gives now, you've heard that, your best life now, we wouldn't last a moment under persecution. Just yesterday as I was thinking about this sermon, the voice of the martyr sends out all kinds of stuff, and I was reading about one person in a foreign country, um, I think it's Nigeria, and I read this, there have been towns where all the biblical churches have been destroyed, a frontline worker said. Many people have had their homes destroyed. One man named Dinah and his family experienced this violence firsthand. Soon after the community learned that he had left the EOC to follow the Jesus he encountered in the gospel, he began to receive death threats. Then one night when Dinah was sleeping in a nearby field to care for his sick cow, he woke to the smell of smoke and saw his house burning in the distance. Villagers had tied the door shut to trap his wife and children inside before setting the house on fire. Dinah ran home in time to rescue his family. Now listen to his reaction to what happened. It emphasizes the point I'm trying to make. He said to a voice of the martyrs worker, our real home is in heaven. They only burned my earthly house. So my heart is not full of hatred and I shall pray for them. I've often said we have many lessons to learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters, but this is one of the greatest. One of the things we often see on television when people have lost things, and I can't imagine if a flood comes through and wipes everything out, but they're just so devastated, they don't think they can take one step farther. Well, a Christian in the midst of his grief and tears can say, yes, like Job, the Lord gives the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It doesn't destroy my life because this is not my home. Brothers, we've never seen our home. He said, if we're just living for the good life now, we wouldn't last a moment under persecution. We would not endure much suffering. Nor would we withstand the many temptations to indulge in fleshly desires. The only thing that can prepare us to endure suffering and to seek holiness in this wicked world is to live as pilgrims bound for heaven, our real home. One gentleman reminds us the Bible is full of the language of pilgrimage. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who are described as what? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
The word stranger literally means foreigners, people of a different culture and language. The word pilgrims are those who live in a foreign land away from their own people. In the Bible, the pilgrim implies a journey, traveling home, those who desire a better country. Biblical pilgrims live in another country alongside the resident community. Someone has named them alongsiders. I kind of like that terminology. They may accomplish great things for the benefit of the country in which they live, like Joseph did, but they never cease to be pilgrims. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't lay up your treasure on this earth. Lay up your treasure where? In heaven. Be thinking heavenly minded as you invest your treasure and your time and your talents. This pilgrim concept is especially vital at our present time when an increasing number of evangelicals advocate being culturally progressive or culturally relevant, exhorting us to get much more into the world. Today's new teaching says we must love it here. Do the things that the world does. Sing their songs, play their music, watch their movies and their plays, dance their dances, and wear their most daring styles along with other compromises that would have horrified believers throughout the last two millennia. A fellow by the PM, name of P.M. Masters gives us some thoughts to help govern our thinking and govern our actions. Number one, don't put your roots down too deep. Don't become dependent on earthly things. <laughs> Don't we struggle with that? How often times have we used, that's mine. Number two, remember, every phase of life is temporary. Number three, never surrender spiritual priorities or waste time unnecessarily. And finally, don't take digressions either. He says, I once knew a man who was an earnest Christian who bought a house far bigger than he needed. It was a very beautiful detached house with umpteen bedrooms. It altogether captured his heart, but it ruined his stewardship, absorbed all of his resources, and virtually consumed his life. We cannot let that kind of thing happen to us, brothers, sisters. We cannot take on commitments that will rule us and negate all of our Christian usefulness. And what kind of pilgrims are we to be? 1 Peter 2.11 says, Pilgrims that are fighting, that are warring against the flesh. Our short journey through our earthly life is a military campaign and not just a single battle. It's an ongoing warfare where Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and learning to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And he reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 that we are wrestling and fighting. We're fighting the inner desires of our old nature. Though it does not reign, it still remains. Remember, Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This mindset of being a pilgrim must be ours. Thirdly, use this holiday time to more fervently pray for our nation. I don't know about you, but I know it's in my life, prayers of other people have been very effective in directing my heart to the throne of grace. R.C. Sproul, back in May of 2006, prayed this prayer for our nation. I think it's appropriate. Our Father and our God, indeed you are our God. 
and your sovereignty extends over all things. As God, your relevance and your dominion can never be restricted merely to the realm of the spiritual or the religious, but your sovereignty extends over all creation, over every aspect of our life and of our culture, over our government, our church, our schools, our health, our wealth, our thinking, our planning, and our crying. And so we as your people are pleading with you, and this is a good thing to think about during the 4th of July. We are pleading with you to have mercy upon us, to give us leaders who have a regard for you, who will regard your name as holy, who will understand that in whatever office they hold, they are to be your servants. You ordain them. And we ask that you would bring new life to your church, that we may begin our repentance at our own house and in our own churches as we plead with you to have mercy upon us as a nation, as a people, as a culture, so that the light of Christ may be rekindled with great glory and intense brightness in our land. And we ask that there will be a revival of the knowledge of you without which our land will mourn and our people will perish. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fourthly, make it a time of praise. Most of all, for the spiritual deliverance that we have, that our souls have been delivered, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. This is a time of celebration. If you stayed up late last night watching the fireworks, that's, I guess that's okay. I did. I did not dare go to bed while my granddaughters were out watching the fireworks. And that's okay. But the greatest celebrations, the greatest times of praise should be about what God has done for us. He's delivered us from sin. What kind of deliverance? Complete. In our justification, we are delivered from the penalty of sin. In our sanctification, we are delivered from the power of sin. And one day in our glorification, we shall be delivered from the very presence of sin. That's a complete and total deliverance by God's grace. One more thing. Number one, remember where our true identity lies. Number two, think and act like a pilgrim. Number three, use this day to pray more fervently for our nation. Number four, give God praise for the gospel that announces freedom from the bondage of sin. And this last one I think is very crucial. Use every opportunity, both now and in the future, to bring others to our real home. For now, as one person has said, it continues to be legal to speak the gospel in our, in our culture, even to press for repentance and faith. That is not so in other places of the world. It's a glorious liberty. Let's make the most of it while we can, remembering that we as Christians have a true country which will satisfy our inconsolable longing like no nation in the present can. And let's double our joys by bringing as many others to us as we can. C.S. Lewis said this, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I will not find till after I die. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press onto that country and help others to come along with me like Christian and faithful in Pilgrim's Progress. I suspect if such a perspective would fly as the star-spangled banner over our Independence Day celebrations with family and friends, we might find our celebrations more rich than ever. Let's be profoundly grateful for the freedom we have in this country to recruit for our true country let's be unashamed to seize upon our fellow Americans' desire for liberty, life, and the pursuit of happiness, and let us tell them 
where it's really and truly found. Well, in closing, the primary focus of my message today has been for Christians, those who've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But I would be amiss because there's another kind of person who may be here this morning. There's only two kinds, those who are Christians and those who are not, those who've been delivered from the bondage of sin and those who have not. And I want to speak to that second category. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. Jesus says you are a slave to sin. In 1838, after a strong emancipation movement among the blacks, slavery was abolished in Jamaica. It was to take effect on August the 1st. On the evening of the last day in July, a large company of former slaves gathered on the beach for a solemn yet joyous occasion. A large mahogany coffin had been constructed and placed on the sand next to an accommodating hole in the beach. All evening, the soon-to-be-emancipated slaves placed with some ceremony symbols of their enslavement. There were chains, leg irons, whips, padlocks, and other similar symbols of slavery. A few minutes before midnight came, the box was lowered into the hole in the beach. Pushing sand into the hole to cover the coffin... All of them joined their voices with one accord to sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, not an empty coffin, but an empty tomb where Jesus came forth alive, conqueror over sin and death and the grave. And his promise is this, all who come unto me, I'll give you rest. Do you know real freedom in Christ? If you don't, I encourage you this day, call upon him, trust him, he will not fail you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this weak attempt today to draw our thoughts toward what's really important, giving suggestions as to how to celebrate this holiday my one prayer is this, that in all of what we do and say and think, you would have the glory and the preeminence. Help us, God, to honor you, our allegiance, our loyalty to you and to the gospel. Touch every life here today, I pray with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. stand and sing. i uh-huh.
chapter 5 each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth someday we shall join them as fellow believers in Christ. Thank you. Have a great day.